Wondery Plus subscribers can listen to 10% Happier early and ad-free right now. Join Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Our guest this week has been in the news a lot of late because uh, you may have heard that there's been uh, a lot of talk of restive Democrats militating to, to get a new leader to replace Nancy Pelosi. Who, who some Democrats believe um, is is hurting their chances of, of retaking the House of Representatives. Anyway, one of the key players in this push is a guy named uh, Representative Tim Ryan, who's a Democrat from Ohio. And uh, I, I happened to talk to Tim for this podcast back in January, shortly after the inauguration of Donald J. Trump. And Tim is a longtime meditator. In fact, wrote a, a whole book about it called A Mindful Nation. And we talked to Tim as part of our 10% Happier Meditation Tour, where we went across the country and talked to all sorts of people about meditation while riding in a ridiculous orange bus. Um, and, and you'll hear uh, in this episode, my co-host, my co-questioner is the amazing meditation teacher, Jeff Warren. And funny little backstory, we were actually supposed to, on the day where we stopped to see Tim back in January, we were supposed to uh, be talking to park rangers with the National Park Service, but they canceled on us. Uh, so I happen to have known Tim for a while, so I emailed him and said, we're coming through town, could we talk to him instead? And he said yes. So we went and showed up in his office, and, and we had the following conversation, which was really awesome and thought-provoking, and is, I think, particularly germane, because you're going to hear him talk about using meditation at a time of political polarization and stress, uh, how he uses it for himself, how he thinks it can be useful for the country. And one last thing I want to say before we get started, uh, speaking of political polarization, we at the 10% Happier app are very much aware that this is a huge issue. Uh, so we've just we've just posted a whole bunch of meditations specifically designed uh, for people who are freaking out about uh, um, the State of the Union. Um, these are available for free on the 10% Happier app. Just download it and put it on your phone uh, if you have an iPhone. And if you don't have an iPhone or an Apple device, you can go to 10percenthappier.com. Um, so check them out there. And they're nonpartisan. So if you're left, right, center, uh, socialist, libertarian, Republican, Democrat, pro-Trump, anti-Trump, whatever, we all have minds. They all need to be tended to. Uh, so these meditations uh, are free and and uh, nonpartisan, and check them out. Anyway, long preamble. Here's Tim Ryan from ABC. This is the Ten Percent Happier Podcast. I'm Dan Harris. These must be interesting times uh, in your world. Yeah, very stressful. Everybody in uncharted waters yeah. at this point. Um, I'm kind of embracing the whole thing. You know, I don't know. It's been so bad in the last six years, like total gridlock, that let's see what happens. Does being a meditator help you uh, in uncertain times? Uh, Immensely. Really? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, just embracing the uncertainty of things has, when you say take it off the cushion or take it out of your practice, I mean, there's no better place to really embrace uncertainty, to practice embracing uncertainty than the United States Congress. Um, because, it, and especially now, I mean, whether through the election, everything was so uncertain. It always is, but it seemed more so now. And then now, and we're moving into the actual governing of the country, complete uncertainty from cabinet picks to what legislation is going to come forward to executive orders, completely up in the air. Nobody has a clue of what direction it'll go in. I want to talk a lot more about the current state of play, but can you just give us a, your backstory? How did you get into meditation in the first place? 
back when I was a kid, I grew up Catholic. My grandparents and mom prayed the rosary a lot. There was a little value put on meditation. I would see my football coaches at Mass or my football coaches at the Catholic school I went to kind of sneak into the uh, chapel that was in the school. And they would go in there and pray and meditate, but they had like, there was some quiet time for them every day. Men, role models for a, you know, for a boy. And that stuck with me. The more I get into it, the more I realize what an impact those role models had on me that I didn't probably notice at the time. I just thought it was interesting. Read Phil Jackson's book, Sacred Hoops, as a young guy. Coach of the LA Lakers and Chicago Bulls when they won their yeah. championships. So that was an influence. What's the stuff he's doing with his players, you know? What's Michael Jordan doing? Because as a young kid growing up, you think, I want to be like them. And I heard about it. And then as I moved on in my life, how do you, tr how do you kind of take that practice into your normal life? Anyway, I remember watching videos and then eventually getting a book and when he wrote it. And that kind of jived with my coaches and everything. You were a football player. I played football, basketball. I was, you know, just a sports guy in North, Northeast Ohio. And that always kind of stuck with me. And I read that book, and I remember um, he had books that influenced him that he put in the Sacred Hoops book. And it was Zen Minds, Beginner's Mind. So I went out and got that. And he had a couple others in there that I went out and then bought those and started reading those. And it just evolved. I had a priest teach me centering prayer, which is a Catholic tradition, um, pretty much mantra-based, Lectio Divina. They, you take a word or a phrase out of the Bible and you say that over and over and over. So it's very much mantra-based. When you say it to yourself over and over, your, your discursive thinking tends to slow down yeah. and it feels good. Yeah, But it's and also a surrendering practice. It's letting go, surrendering, surrendering, surrendering. It's equanimity, equanimity, equanimity. Yeah. Not struggling with, your, with reality. Yeah. So it, it paid off um, then later when I learned other practices, but it was kind of the same thing. You notice you're thinking about something, and you go back to your phrase or your word or your breath or your body or whatever. So um, flirted on and off with a bunch of stuff throughout my life. You know, read a lot of Deepak Chopra stuff, Wayne Dyer stuff, uh, getting into the gap, those kind of meditations, and then got to Congress, kind of flirted with it on and on. You know, same as anybody, probably what we'll talk about here today. You do it for a day, and you go, oh, my God, this meditation thing is so great. And then you don't do it for two years. <laughs> you know? in, the, in, in those two years, you beat yourself up like, why don't I meditate every day? Why don't I meditate? So um, I was here. It was 2008. I was really getting to the point where I was almost burnt out. I wasn't burnt out, but I was getting to that point. Elections, Ohio, fundraising. We became, the, we became into the majority, Democrats did, in Congress. And uh, I was just like, I got to do something. So I went on a five-day retreat with John Kabat-Zinn. And Legendary was, teacher of, basically, he doesn't like this term, but secular mindfulness. I mean, yeah. Meditation without any religious overlay. Yeah. And that's what appealed to me. I didn't have to give up my religion. I didn't have to, like, join some group or put on a robe or, like, do anything funky. I could just, like, go and sit. And, and anyway... Would you, I, so you're still a practicing Catholic? Yeah. My son was baptized. I'm my, I'm my oldest son's confirmation sponsor. So we're, we're in it. And that, you know, that five days, there, it started off with small periods of silence for an hour or two hours, whatever, and then more and more silence throughout the week, and then like a day and a half of silence towards the end of the retreat, and that's when just, you know, top flipped off my head. You know, it was just like, this is unbelievable. You can start really seeing your thoughts come, really understanding what was going, you know, and then you become aware of 
why you have high blood pressure. <laughs> like I keep thinking these negative thoughts over and over and over again, and you wonder why you're stressed out of stuff that's years gone by or hasn't even happened. You mean Those you're having the, all these thought loops, anxiety loops that you're not even clearly aware of, but they're stressing you out on some sort of subconscious sure. level, and here you are in your first experience of silence, and you're seeing it clearly for the first time. Yeah. It's like the, the person who has road rage. Like, you pull in front of them because you need to change lanes, and they go ballistic. I mean, obviously, it's not just about you pulling in front of them. Yeah. There's got to be layers and layers and layers of stuff that happened that day, that week, that month, that year, that lifetime that get expressed in that moment. And when you stop and calm your mind down, you start seeing those things, you start to respond better. With you them. also start metabolizing those things. I mean, that's the amazing thing. You can start to work some of that stuff out cools out, it cools out, you're, you can actually get rid of some of that reactive patterns. It's not just that you're going to neutral, you can actually start to work down. Yeah. Which is I see amazing. why you bring him along. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Good stuff. So anyway, it affected me and then I wrote A Mindful Nation. A Mindful Nation came out in what, 2013? 10-11. 10-11? Like okay. Yeah. And it was basically, if I recall, you talked from the position of a, a congressman about areas in which mindfulness could be embedded into our government policy, having yeah. to do with care for veterans, education, right. uh, health care, yeah. and there were a few other training, and prisons. Prisons, yeah. training, defense, you know. Um, no more high stressful situation than patrolling a village in a far off country that's very dangerous. And it's not to make better killers, but it's, we have a lot of accidents that happen, a lot of unnecessary collateral damage. So to have someone who can train their mind to be present in those situations, I think reduces a lot of um, mishaps from happening. And you know, what's the great challenge today, you know, raising kids? I mean, your uh, baby is young, um, but as they get older, they get a device, they get a phone, they start playing on they, their attention span. There's so much information, so much distraction today that I think we need to look at education differently. Like we need to concentrate on having teachers and a, a system that cultivates awareness, promotes focus and concentration for extended periods of time. Unfortunately, that needs to be a part of the program today. Don't like it, but I want my son and daughter and kids to be able to look you in the eye, shake your hand, pay attention to you when you talk, you know, not get in a conversation and you're like looking for your phone or, you know, I feel it buzz and I'm, that, and that just, that's the road we're going down right now and, you know, I worry about that, that we've got to figure out strategies and I think starting in schools, starting in healthcare, same stress levels, the money we spend on high blood pressure, Alzheimer's, you know, all of the, you know, anxiety medication. And I worry about that in the politics, too, today, because it seems like that's ramping everybody up, and we're all... So there's just stress all around us. So you've been actually teaching it here in the Capitol for a couple of years to staffers, right? Well, I provide the space. We bring, we bring in teachers. I see. So you're not teaching, yeah, but you're I don't, bringing in teachers. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I know a lot about it, but I don't think I'm a teacher. I can give you the basics. Like, I've seen videos of you, like, teaching people the basics. Yes, you yeah. Know? So I'll give you the basics. That's why I bring... Uh, I bring well, exactly. Yeah. I mean, you know... A you weaponized get... meditation <laughs> at all times. From Canada. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. Imported. Canada arm. Yeah. <laughs> so we create the space. We bring in teachers every few weeks to teach different kinds, because I don't want to be like, well, this is the right kind. It's like, the it's kind smart. that's right is the kind that works for you. Exactly. And I'd like to just introduce everybody gotcha. to... 
different forms. We'll have people come in who do work with veterans, people who do work in, in healthcare, education. Linda Lantieri's been here, you know, and just Deepak's been here, and they do their sessions. Um, we had Andrew Wow come here and do a breathing, uh, his, you know, his, his four, seven, eight breath technique or whatever it is. And how does that go down around here? I would imagine that this is a pretty, you know, type A crew uh, <laughs> in the, you know, the, the some of the most uh, powerful square miles in, in the world. Uh, yeah. How does it go down to introduce med meditation? You know, I had a bunch of people grab me just this year saying, I think we need to start coming to your thing. They you know, do your stuff. We're going to come to your thing. Like, people don't even know what to necessarily call it, <laughs> but they know it's like stress reduction stuff. And um, more and more people are looking to be a part of it. Um, but again, it's hard. The demands, you fly in right before votes, and you stack your schedule with meetings, and then you fly out as soon as you can. So carving out the time and really making it a priority is tough for people. And that's why I think the staff stuff is really important because you can still work your way into an office where someone's starting to change the dynamics of the office. So there are two layers here. You're talking about can you get the actual politicians to do it, the actual members of the House of Representatives or yeah. the senators, yeah. and then there's their staff. Yeah. And you're working on both yeah. levels? Yeah. And where have you had seen more success? Staff. Okay. Staff. I mean, it's when, when the members of, of Congress are out of town, there is more downtime here. You know, people don't wear a suit and tie. You come in in jeans and a shirt. You come in a half hour later. You leave a half hour earlier. It's a little more downtime because the days we're here, they're in early, and we can be in session till midnight sometimes. So it's a little easier for them to find some, some chill time on those days. So the number one obstacle for these folks is what? Time um, and stigma probably, like you're slacking if you're going to do this. So... Part of it is you've got to say Ray Dalio. You've got to say Phil Jackson. You've got to say Kobe Bryant did this, you know. Not exactly slackers, um, but they found it as a performance enhancer. And my view is if that's the entry point for you to taste this, you'll have, yeah, it will enhance your performance, but it'll also do a lot of other things that will just be that will happen anyway. What, what about, like, you, you've taken a, a little bit of guff for being a, a meditator. Do people <laughs> worry about that? You know, some people have made fun of you for being a meditator. Uh, I think, uh, in your defense, and with full disclosure, we've known each other for a while and are, are quite friendly. I think in your defense, a little bit unfairly, uh, if not entirely unfairly, but nonetheless, you've had to deal with a little bit of this. So uh, do you think that's what is maybe an obstacle, at least for some of your fellow members of Congress? I think so. Totally. Like, who you have enough bullshit to have to deal with throughout the course of your political life that answering a question about practicing mindfulness or something like that isn't, like, on their agenda. It's, like, not the cost-benefit analysis maybe just isn't worth it for them, which I totally get. Because if you haven't experienced it, I think, like I have, you don't talk about it like I have. Like, if you're just kind of, like, I, I didn't, quote unquote come out until after like I really had this experience of like this is really helpful to me as a father and husband and son and your congressman. So you want some stressed out crazy person running around? Well I guess 
I guess that's not a good question to ask right now, is it? But um, I just don't think ultimately that's what people want. And if they see it helps me, they don't really care what it is, you know? And um, so. As some people might guess, I want to let Jeff ask a few questions, but uh, as some people might guess from that last comment, you are a Democrat. As you look at the roster of staff members who are coming to your quiet time, is it bipartisan or is it mostly Democrats? It's bipartisan. Really? For sure. Oh, absolutely. And I, it's, it's great because I'll be in the cafeteria and I'll have a staffer grab me. It's like I'm from a, you know, so-and-so's office. And thank you for doing this. It's been great for me. And what I try to say is, like, conservative values are embodied in this practice. It's about taking care of yourself. It's about understanding yourself. It's about making you healthier um, with being fiscally conservative because it doesn't cost a lot of money and there aren't a lot of side effects that you have to clean up. So it's, it's very much conservative in so many ways, probably more so than it would be perceived in the general you know, perception of the, the stereotypes, more so than being liberal, you know, if you, if you think about it. But what it's, what it's helped um, in the craziness, like I look at Trump and I think, okay, it is what it is, he won, Amazingly, he did a great job. Okay, how do we respect him? He won, the people put him in place. What, can I sit and listen and find something that we can work on together? Without judgment, without some of the other crazy stuff that I will be very critical of, is there something in there that because he is who he is and he's different, that maybe, maybe there is an opportunity for us to rebuild the country and get broadband in every community like mine that we work so hard to try to get. Maybe there's something in there. You can count on T-Mobile to help keep you connected after investing billions to light up their network from big cities to small towns. T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, when you switch to T-Mobile, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus Verizon and AT&T. Visit your neighborhood store or tmobile.com to switch. Plan savings with T-Mobile, third line free on essentials via monthly bill, credits versus comparable available plans. Plan features may vary. Credits stop if you cancel or change plans. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash happier. Just go to Indeed.com slash happier right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash happier. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And you think meditation actually could help you work better with Donald Trump at, while being in the opposition? Give, yeah, by being open to, like, seeing through all of the tweets and delusion and um, what's, what's the new one um, about alternative, alternative facts. facts. Yeah. 
Like, okay, seeing through all that, okay, what's he really trying to do with X, Y, or Z? And can we actually get something done for the American people? You know, there was an interesting, uh, I think it was Corey Lewandowski, one of his uh, campaign managers. Somebody in the Trump's camp said something interesting that reporters and, and liberals uh, took and take Trump literally, but they don't take him seriously. But the people who vote for him don't take him literally. They see through all the stuff that you're talking about, but they do take him seriously. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and, I, and I thought it was a very astute, yeah. I don't know if it was Corey who said it, but it was somebody who said it yeah. who was pro-Trump, and I think it was a kind of an astute observation. And perhaps that is on some, it, uh, what you're talking about is a cousin to that in some way. Totally, totally. And I, just in the last couple of days, he brings the union guys in, talks to them, he brings the heads of these corporations in who have outsourced a lot of jobs from communities like mine, and he's saying, guys, party's over, we gotta start reinvesting back in the country. Now, I don't know what he's gonna tweet in the next two hours, but I know what everyone in Youngstown, Ohio heard. The union guys were in there talking about rebuilding the country, and he had the auto execs in there about reinvesting back in the United States. So he could tweet about whatever he wants. They're off to the kids' soccer game. I mean, that's, but they heard what they, what's important to them and, you know, I think you have stories of past presidents who have done so many different things, personally and, you know, publicly, that the American people are over it to some extent. Like, what are you going to do for me and my family? You know, the bottom 90% has not seen income gains in the last 20 years. Like, I'm over here, you know, I don't care what you do. Come, come, someone talk to these CEOs and tell them they got to reinvest back in my country. And that's what he's doing. So... You know, I don't have to like him. I don't have to, like, go drink beer with him. I don't have to play golf with him. But if he has something that's going to help my constituents, I hope I can ratchet my own stuff down to be able to do that. I, I mean, it's my obligation. Yeah, basically. And to be able to do that, you have to be able to have a certain amount of non-reactivity. Because if you're just, you know, fighting the whole thing, then you're not going to be able to find that signal of sanity in the center of it all. Yeah. And it doesn't mean you can't push back on things that you feel are going to hurt your constituents or are inhumane or irresponsible. There's no way to talk to people, you know, or, or make someone feel an outcast. Um, you can do both. Yeah. You know? So since you wrote your book, uh, more schools uh, embracing mindfulness, more hospitals, more companies... I mean, you're seeing the applications starting to emerge in all different places. It must make you feel, I mean, I'm just curious how, what your take is on that landscape, and even in the past five years, five, six years. I mean, I love it, because I, I think it's a fundamental part of changing society, changing these institutions. But there's a lot of work to be done, yeah. you know? So I still see a lot of schools that, you know, they're giving kids bad food, they're you know, it's, it's very chaotic. There's still a ton of distraction. So a lot of work to do. But it's, it's, it's good to know that we're going in the right directions because then you have more examples to point to as far as, the, look, this is working. You know, it's interesting when we're, we're trying to figure out what is preventing people from meditating. And there are, sometimes there are internal reasons, there are lots of them, reasons why they're getting hung up and there's things you can say and do to reorient them in different ways. But there's a lot of external reasons. And that's that the, the culture doesn't support taking time out in that way. So you realize that some of those solutions are actually going to come from, from policy. They're going to come from they're going to be they're going to come from the top, as opposed to the things that are always because we depend on all happening from the bottom right now. And that's an interesting way to think about it. Like there are what can we put in place in terms of policy that can make these things easier? 
I mean, you must think about that as a legislation. Well, I think it's easier if it's being taught. You know, um, one of the reasons, because there was obviously a, a calculation about knowing this stuff, and John Kabat-Zinn saying, "Go talk to Richie Davidson. Go talk to Linda Lantieri. Go talk to Judd. You know, go t you know, go talk to these folks who are doing the research and doing all this good stuff." And then saying, "Well, I want to put my name on a book and talk about it publicly." It's like a big, yeah. it's a big discussion to have. Um, but the reality of it is, these are the things that need to be taught. And if I have this knowledge, and you have the knowledge, and you have the knowledge, and why is it just like wealthy people who can afford to go on a retreat should have this? To me, this is a social justice issue. <laughs> you know, why wouldn't a kid in Youngstown have the opportunity to learn this that can transform their ability to get themselves educated, to deal with more stress and violence uh, in their own lives than any of us would ever dream of or have a nightmare about living in, in and under? Why aren't we teaching? So when, when we talk about putting it into a system, it's about how do you educate? How do you get doctors teaching patients? How do you get teachers first embody it themselves and then be able to teach it to the kids? To me, that's how you transform it. Imagine every Marine who has uh, a mind fitness training as a part of their basic training. So the average stay for a Marine in the Marines is five or six years. So these, these people are going back to communities and becoming teachers and nurses and you know coaches so they can bring that and slowly build it out in society. So you're changing the system by promoting this stuff internally for them to then you, share the knowledge. You've had some pushback even right in your own district, right, of, uh, of uh, public parents in public schools where mindfulness was uh, being taught saying, I don't like this, it feels like it's against my religion. Yeah. How do you deal with that? Well, it, it was in, it was having great effects in Canton, just outside of my district, outside of Canton, Ohio. And you know, a Christian group came in and they were interested in putting a chapel in the school and having it be very Christian based, which obviously as a Catholic student I don't mind, but it just can't be public school. Um, and, and so they ended up spooking the, the uh, school board, the principal, they ended up taking it out, which was, you know, a real shame. And I think you just got to let it happen. That's why I think having a broad agenda that says, look, we all know what's going on here. We all know that there's too much distraction. We all know there's too much information. There's no quiet time. There's no silence. People aren't working on farms. It's just all noise now. Um, and we all know something needs to be done about it. And I'm not telling you what to do. The local school board can figure out what to do. But I think it needs to go down this road of quiet time, knowing there are practices that can help you train your mind to focus in the present moment and to cultivate your awareness of both what's going on inside of you and around you, social and emotional learning, critical in the 21st century. Um, so you figure it out locally. You, know, you don't need Washington to tell you, but I'm trying to create an umbrella and some cover for people to say, look, there are people who are doing, like it's science, like look at the brain research. Don't listen to me or don't, you know, and no one has to give up any religion that they believe. But look at the science. We want to help your kid develop their brain. And in 2017, if we know this stuff, why is it not getting down to the kids in my district? That's, right. That's unfair. That's unfair for my kids. I like how you think of it as a social justice issue because that is so important because a lot of people see it as some kind of self-indulgent. That's the, the, it, they associate with the wellness movement that's just about you and what you need. 
not realizing that it's like you're it's all one system you know and if you don't if you don't address the the mental health issues of everybody then you're not going to be able to address all the other issues because they're all secondary issues that come from that so it is absolutely a social justice issue yeah what does your own practice look like and what if any challenges do you encounter in either getting your butt on the cushion or actually once you're there I try to do it in the morning uh, and then I try to have a little window in the afternoon, evening. To how, do, how much do are you doing in the uh, 25 minutes nowadays. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. Um, and what does that look like? Feeling your breath coming in, going out, when you get lost, you start again? Uh, yeah, pretty much. More mindfulness-based, awareness-based practice. I do still do some centering prayer, just kind of at the tail end. I do a little, I guess it's surrendering, and I like that. And then a little bit later in the day, just kind of calming my body down because I can notice that how tense I get throughout the course of the day. Um, I can't understand why. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so you're tracking that at all times. You kind of just got a part. You're just aware of what's I've happening. I've gotten in your body. better at it. Yeah. You know, I'll go an hour and not think of it, and then go think. You know, look how tense you are. Just kind of take a couple deep breaths. Take a couple deep breaths. And it's more about checking in nowadays than it is about you know sitting on the cushion for 45 minutes like I, I did when I first started. But it's also I got a family and dogs and like you know you try to meditate at home and the dog wants to go out and you you know you seven minutes in the dog wants back in. You know? <laughs> <laughs> this guy did not get the memo about my meditation practice <laughs> clearly. Sounds like the mind. But what John where John Kabat-Zinn really helped me is that that's part of the practice like that. It becomes part, like, you're going you're gonna to kick the dog now, Mr. Yeah, exactly. Meditator? You know, like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I kick the dog because i got to get back to my meditation. Yeah. You know, like, so you just kind of make it part, and then have, having a baby, as you know, you know, two-and-a-half-year-old, and, um, and then traveling a lot. That's kind of the, the challenge. Um, Is it finding the time to do it? Sometimes, you know, because then, you know, I get home, the kids get home, and, you know, our daughter is like cheer and dance and Masons and baseball and ski club, you know, whatever the case may be. Or Brady, the baby, wants attention, you know. And so I've actually found a little window now at home at night, you know. Like I'll literally go up to bed with my wife, you know, lay in bed. Her and the baby will fall asleep and I'll get up and I'll go downstairs and sit. Like it just, it just in the last couple of weeks, it kind of like evolved into like, okay, she goes to bed really early, and I don't, but I'll go up. She likes, like, because I'm here a lot, we don't get to spend a ton of time together, like, go up to bed together, and that's what she likes. I'm like, why am I resisting this? Let's go up, lay in bed, you know, they'll fall asleep, and I... Don't tell my wife I do this, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Secrets revealed. You know, it's interesting. We can do a practice um, around you because what you're saying is really smart, that a big part of your practice is actually find the easygoingness in transitions. Because it's in transitions when something changes from one thing to another, everyone just loses their, their stuff. But it sounds like you're very conscious about kind of being smooth in the transitions. And that is an, an amazing equanimity practice. That's kind of the essence of really a lot of what it's about. And it's like, you're just describing that. It's very interesting. That's when I'm doing it. I don't always yeah. do it. It's not <laughs> yeah. always that smooth. It's not always that so smooth. But that's the way it is. That's yeah, the way it is. Nothing's way. ever that, you know, it's, it's like you, you've identified 
where the bottlenecks are, and you're working on that. Like, uh, if there's a bottleneck when your dog wants to go out and come back in in the middle of your pristine meditation time, yeah. okay, well, let's co-opt that and turn it into a, an opportunity for mindfulness. Uh, your wife proposes that you change uh, your idealized schedule, yeah. and you're like, probably resist it for a little while, and then you're like, oh, actually, I see how I can make this work. And yeah. I would imagine, just speaking from my own experience uh, of looking at this kind of stuff in my own life, that that is that that is where me- meditation helps you make that stuff smoother, uh, allows you to see that 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 there you're creating problems, and then you could use meditation as a way to even address it. Yeah, so they h- helps you on both ends. Totally, totally. It only took me three years to figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> also, has another word: uh, maturity. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, people ask me, you know, why do why you know. What do you think has gone on in your life that uh, has made you happier, nicer person o- over time? The first thing I say is that I retain the capacity to be a pl- complete idiot. <laughs> then I would say that it's, it's probably three words with M in it. I would say it's marriage, meditation, and maturity. You know, getting yeah. older, be, having married very well, and, uh, and meditation is like a huge part of it too. Yeah. I, don't, I, I think actually it's not helpful to say... Everything that's good in your life is because of meditation. If you meditate, you're going to solve all your problems. I actually think that puts too much heat around the thing. Yeah. Well, it makes you think all the problems are going to go away. You know, unicorn rainbows, if you, everybody sits on a cushion, it's just yeah. not going to happen. Yeah. Uh, or I got to pretend like I'm not angry or pretend like I'm not fearful. I think it's really helpful uh, emotions that, that can inform you when you're, why am I afraid? Why am I angry? What's going on underneath? doesn't mean you still don't get angry and you still tell people something maybe a little forcefully that needs to be said but with a little less anger and maybe a little more reflection like well this needs to be said like and maybe it needs to be said that they know that it's eliciting certain feelings from me you know so you have to so it's all good you know I mean I, I just I grew up playing sports and I just love when I think of Phil Jackson or I think of Kobe Bryant or uh, others that practice this and play in that arena that's so intense. It's like, you are in the game, buddy. Okay, Phil Jackson is stomping his feet and screaming, you know, and he goes over and sits back down, and you can see him kind of collect himself. But there's a fierceness to playing the game of life. Like, and it shouldn't, you can't, this is not going to suck all the fun out of it or all the juice out of it. It's the complete opposite. You're just there for it and hope it informs you in a way that you make better decisions. In the heat of the battle, you start to shift. I've long said I think you are one of, if not the very best communicators about this stuff. So, yeah. uh, And you just gave us a great example of it. I'm very sensitive to the fact that you've got another meeting coming up. But before we let you go, um, where can people learn more about you? What are the names of your books? Do you have a website? Mm-hmm. Um, so my political website, you can just Google me. I have a campaign one and an official one. And then A Mindful Nation It's a book I wrote about... Uh, Mindfulness meditation in schools and uh, healthcare, uh, and then I wrote a book a couple years ago called *The Real Food Revolution*. As I was doing the research um, about mindfulness, it was very much about how stress affected the body, diabetes, high blood pressure, Alzheimer's, all of these things. But every time I was looking at an article, it wasn't just stress; it was also diet. So then, I the next kind of evolution was the book on food called *The Real Food Revolution*. And that's about how we shift our food system to more locally sourced, fresh foods. Um, I don't try to get in any big political debates, but just how do we build out a new food system that isn't just completely subsidizing big agriculture to make fake food 
that ends up in boxes of whatever that's not even real. Frankenfood is what Mark Hyman calls it. It's just so highly processed. It's soy oil, it's corn oil, it's high fructose corn syrup, and it's leading to a lot of these problems that we're having. So again, a social justice issue. You know, it kind of gets back to my grandparents in my own mind. It's like they had a garden, healthy, fresh food, locally sourced, homemade stuff, whether it was hot peppers or wine, or a lot of it was homemade, and then time for contemplation and meditation and relaxation. Like, that's how they lived. You know, they, they're both gone now. I mean, and they lived to be 90, and they had pretty rich and full lives. But it's like, get back to the fundamentals, and then everything else will kind of take care of itself from there. Congressman. I'm so glad you're here, man. Uh, this has hey, been great. Well, wait, and I wish you'd say, this is how cool this guy is. I, I emailed him yesterday and said, hey, can we come see you? And he was like, yeah, cool. So uh, thank you. I only have 13 things on my schedule. Yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know, but we're, yeah, I, we're I, grateful. I, I love what you're doing. I thank just think it's so thank important, you. and I didn't know you had a sidekick you're traveling with. I'm a little jealous I'm not in a bus with you. He but considers I, me the sidekick, just so you know. <laughs> Probably for good reason. Yeah. <laughs> but I appreciate it. I think, I think what you did with 10% was amazing. And I think it's really important. And guys like you, I mean, I, I remember sitting in Boston, which is funny because that's where you're from, mm -hmm. and you were doing an interview about your book. And I can't—I was there for doing a fundraiser or something. And I was at—I was at a, a restaurant, and I look up on TV, and you're doing an interview with the local uh, affiliate that mm -hmm. you used to work for. Mm -hmm. And I said, "Well, that's some auspiciousness. Yeah. That's what they call it <laughs> in the business, right?" But I just think it's great. And, Thank you. Appreciate and it. Your whole journey is very powerful. Okay, that does it for another edition of the 10% Happier Podcast. If you liked it, please take a minute to subscribe, rate us. Also, if you want to suggest topics you think we should cover or guests that we should bring in, hit me up on Twitter, at Dan B. Harris. Importantly, I want to thank uh, the people who produce this podcast, Lauren Efron, Josh Cohan, and the rest of the folks here at ABC who helped make this thing possible. We have tons of other podcasts. You can check them out at abcnewspodcasts.com. I'll talk to you next Wednesday. If you like 10% Happier, and I hope you do, uh, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go, tell us about yourself by filling out a short survey at wondery.com survey. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books. Once upon a beat, remember those stories and fables that would capture your imagination and you couldn't wait to see how they would unfold? And now, when you read them as an adult, you think some of these old tales could use a fresh spin. We have a perfect podcast to bring you the stories you remember, remix, and reimagine for the kids in your life today. 
Join me, DJ Fuse, and my trusty turntable, Baby Scratch, as we spin up new tales in the New Kids and Family podcast, Once Upon a Beat. Wondry and Tinkercast are bringing you a jam-packed, music-filled weekly party where hip-hop and fables meet. It's Once Upon a Beat. Follow Once Upon a Beat on the Wondry app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Once Upon a Beat early and ad-free right now by joining Wondry Plus in the Wondry app or Wondry Kids Plus in Apple Podcasts. Once Upon a Beat.